0: Hello and welcome, I'm your host Angie Nisbet and welcome to season two podcast of Married to the Land, a podcast sharing stories of our everyday rural women, their journey from the beginning and how their path has let them become married to the land. A small disclaimer before we start, these recordings are done with the help of the internet and as some of you already know, the internet in rural areas can be a little bit touch and go so there might be areas of this recording that have a very small lag time. I am a huge advocate for rural women and breaking the norm, and today I am completely dedicated to knowing how my guest does it all. Emily Bryant is a rural woman, determined, outgoing, passionate, has a good attitude towards life and she has really pushed the barrier for young rural women to back themselves and to get amongst the ag industry. So today, whilst talking to Emily, I felt empowered and I know you will too. So let's get into it. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today. It's been a while and for our listeners out there who um, who don't know, Emily and I actually went to school together. So it's been um, really lovely to reconnect and um, Uh, going to be really great to catch up a little bit but also get to know a little bit about um, your journey um, up there in the Northern Territory now. So firstly, Emily, welcome. Thank you for um, joining us. Can you just start right back at the beginning a little bit about um, your childhood where you grew up um, and um, yeah, welcome. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ange. It's it's great to be a part of this. Like I started following your journey with this podcast last year when you first started and I thought what an amazing you know what amazing conversation you're opening up like you know women on the land we've always been on the land women have always been on the land you know we've always been there beside our partners husbands whatever you know and it's not until recent decades that we've sort of been you know women have been recognized on the land so you know, I'm so happy that you're sort of following this path. and um, yeah, a bit about me. so way, way, way back, I was um, born and bred Southwest Queensland, actually, so um my mum and dad were born and bred Southwest Queensland um, in the Mitchell area, so they obviously met and married out there, and I am one of three. I'm the youngest of three. Um, so we lived in Mitchell, a small town called Mitchell, so um majority of our family are still out there on the land in the area, more than Mitchell, um, uh, Mangalala, north of Mitchell, sort of all in that area. Um, but over the years obviously a lot of people migrate and move around. So um I spent the first 10 years of my childhood in Mitchell. Um and then when I was 10, mum moved us down to Toowoomba to continue our continue our schooling down there. So that's sort of where I was born and you know where where we spent the first part of my childhood, so that's a bit of, about that, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and um, I do want to chat because I know that you're um, you lo- did lose your father when you were quite young, um, and I know you may not know any different, but do you feel like that um changed your childhood at all? because um, especially you know you being a mum now and and having a partner, do you feel yeah. like um you missed out on anything or was it sort of you didn't know any different and you guys just forged through it?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like I, growing up, didn't know any different. I I had no idea. Dad passed away when I was nine months old, you know. I was nine months, my brother was 18 months, and my sister had just started school. He actually passed away on Australia Day, so she was just starting school. And, um, yeah, like we didn't know any different as kids. Well, my brother and I definitely didn't Um, mum and dad at the time of dad passing it was a very sudden death it was just um, uh, very sudden just overnight so sort of mum had to just pick up and keep going the next day so they at the time dad was working on his family property just west of Mitchell and they were mum and dad were based at their place in Mitchell or just outside of Mitchell so you know mum did a heck of a job just keeping on going and you know, she made our life as normal as can be, you know, I'm the first person to admit that mum gave us every opportunity she possibly could, you know, we lived a happy lifestyle with uh, a happy childhood. We lived, um, we, we played sports, we went to Rover and district, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And um, that's sort of a credit to my mum because you know, mum didn't remarry. It was just been the kids and mum and the kids right right from, you know, nineteen eighty nine when dad passed away. So yeah, I was really young. I didn't know any different. And I I honestly haven't missed out on anything. Like I yeah, I don't have a dad, you know, but my mum is mum and dad. You know, that's mm. that's just that's just how we've always rolled and mum's mum and mum's dad. So that's just sort of our family dy- dynamic. Out of the whole family dynamic, I think I've always had a um, – probably uh, – I think my brother would have obviously found it more difficult. I, I think my brother would have found it a lot more difficult just, you know, a young boy growing up, you know. Mm. I see see now just with our little boy from – you know, he's only two and a half, you know. There's a really special connection between him and his and his father and my partner Wayne, you know. And I can see now, you know, that that's definitely, you know, like – my brother did miss out on that bond, you know, but mm. in saying that he's, you know, he's so close to our mum. So, yeah, you know, it's, um yeah, it was tough, but we didn't know any different. Like yeah. mum's mum and mum was dad, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then yeah. you said you guys moved to Toowoomba. So what forced that decision upon your family to go to Toowoomba? Um, was it purely um, a situation or was there a change in, in um where you guys wanted to be
1: yeah so um my brother and sister were all, already actually at boarding school in Toowoomba so um it was just it was just the plan that would always go to boarding school in Toowoomba you know mum was very passionate about um you know offering us the best schooling she possibly could you know that that was mum she like like all parents you know you want to mm. give it you, you, you want to give the most to your children that you possibly can so I think mum was just at a point in her life where um, financially it made more sense to move to Toowoomba. Um, Hugh and Anna, my siblings were already down there at boarding school. So um, it was a big move for mum. It was, um, I I do remember it. I do remember a lot of emotions being tied to it. Um, You know, mum had spent the first, well, she spent, mum was 50 then, you know, she she was a rural woman. She went to school in Toowoomba and then she moved back to Mitchell and met 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 and married and fell in love. Fell in love, you know, the story goes. Yeah. So um I think it's um it it just made sense for mum to move us all together, to be back together. And um, yeah, so we moved to Toowoomba and my brother and sister became um day day students. They no longer boarded and then I started my schooling down there and the story kept going.
0: Yeah, and you enjoyed school, Em. Were you um, a scholar or were you an athletic person? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about school for you. Did you enjoy it?
1: You you know what? I look back at school now, like I look back at my schooling days now, and I'm like, I loved school. I probably didn't love it for the right reasons. I loved it for the friendship side Mm -hmm. of things and the sport side of things. I was nowhere near a scholar. I was the scraping by kind of girl. Like I am, yeah, big time, big time. But you know what? Like a lot of that emphasis comes from my upbringing in the sense of, you know, I, to this day, if I have a conversation with my mum about anything, if I need advice or support, you know, it always rings in my head. Mum always says, I don't care what you're doing as long as you're earning money and you're happy. I don't care on your grades or your marks as long as you're trying. I tried, like I tried, yeah. but I tried just to just to get across the line. The school side of thing wasn't important to me. You know, I loved my friends. You know, I've still got a great circle of friends from school. You know, school finished way back, you know, and we've still got a great circle. And, you know, that's what I really enjoyed about school. And where I went to school it was a great rural um school. So it still allowed me to keep ties to Bush people and Bush kids and um yeah and the sport was great and that's one thing I definitely do miss you know being rural now you know I just sometimes think I'm like oh it'd just be great to go and play a game of tennis with someone and then yeah. I go Emily you haven't played tennis for like nearly 15 years who are you <laughs> kidding you know those sort of things but yeah I, I did love school and you know I can't wait for our kids to get I don't want to wish time away but I can't wait for our kids to get into that environment and sport and making friends it really excites me.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there and, like, my parents were exactly the same. They were by no means yep. into me about, you know, getting A's in marks, but they always said as long as your attitude marks are an A or a B, then that's all that matters. So, yep. you know, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. And so heading into grade 12, where was your headspace at? Did you know what you wanted to do? Were you a bit unsure? I mean, talk talk to me about your decision to... um. To finish grade twelve and go to uni,
1: I sort of finished up year twelve, going and what do I do now? Kind of like I was just like, well, as we all do, I think graduate. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get the best, you know, back then it was op score, you know, but it was enough to get me sort of into nursing. And I'm like, I'm going to do nursing. I'm going to try my hand at nursing. So I did. I started studying nursing at USQ in Toowoomba, and that was great, but the good old Emily tactics came in again where I was just kind of scraping by you know I I probably into the into the scholastic side it wasn't putting a hundred percent and I was probably putting more into the social side and I'm just out of school and you, you know the sort of mindset you're in so you know I should have taken 12 months off you know should have could have would have you know you don't live in the past but you know, um, yeah, I sort of started that and um, I did enjoy it like because I love being around people, you know, and I, I love science, like, I've always been a science or um, biology person, you know, I, I love anatomy and how things work, you know, I'm a practical kind of person, so mm. yeah, I started studying and um, I did about 18 months of my university degree before I decided to pack up and head north,
0: yeah, and chat to me about that decision, um. You know, you applied for a station cook position. What on earth made you to go, right, I'm heading to Territory, I'm out. Stick with us. We'll be back after the break. ICPA is an educational voice for rural and remote families and their students. They are committed to ensuring equitable access to education, Opportunities and support for every step of a student's learning journey from early childhood through to tertiary, trade, or training. Membership is for all families and interested parties, whether they live in a rural or remote town, on a property, are itinerant workers, or simply have a connection to rural and remote education issues, which the ICPA advocate for. If you want your voice for your children, join a branch near you. With 45 branches, you're sure to be able to reach out and connect. Membership is easy to get. Head to www.icpa.com.au to join today. You know what? It's one of those things. I was,
1: I was halfway through my nursing degree, and I'd always wanted to go north. Like I had been up north once. I'd visited my brother; he was working on a station in the Northern Territory, and I was just like, "Oh, that would be amazing!" Like, but it was a real confidence thing for me, you know. Um, I confidence, you know, and getting out of my comfort zone has always been a real battle for me. So I sort of battled with that for a fair while. And anyway. I was sort of at the point halfway through a degree. And anyway, a cook's a station cook position became available on a station called Humbert River. And I knew the station because that's where my brother had worked and I knew the managers or I ha- had met the managers because my bro- brother had worked for them for some time. And I'm just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Northern Territory for six months and I'm going to be a station cook. And anyway, I remember having a conversation with my mum and mum's parents oh they just they just seem to know I guess and I remember mum saying yep I think you should do it mum just must have seen like I was 20, 20 years old I just turned 20 yeah mm. probably mum must have. mum was obviously just watching me and she's like this girl needs to go and do something different she needs to get out so you know I packed my bags I booked my plane ticket and I was gone left warmer within a week like it was just all really sudden and yeah. I remember I got to Darwin like I don't think I'd even been on a domestic flight really before like it was like it was like (laughs) 20 years ago like we didn't travel on domestic flights a lot like things have changed a lot in the Mm. last couple of decades and um and then I uh yeah, I got to Darwin and I hopped off the plane and mum had booked me a room at the Backpackers because I had to catch the Greyhound bus the next day down to a township called Timber Creek. Like I think back and I just go, oh my God, if my children do that, I'll be petrified. But, you know, you know, life, life experience, you've just got to let your kids go and, you know, um, let them fly the coop. But yeah, I got off the Greyhound bus at about four o'clock in the afternoon and in a township called Timber Creek if people know the Northern Territory there's not much at Timber Creek and I hopped off the bus and um there was no one there to pick me up and <laughs> I, like, I just I remember my heart just sinking and I was thinking what have I done what have I done where have I gone anyway long story short someone eventually got there to pick me up and I ended up back on that station it was quite an isolated station Humbert River it was about four four and a half hours from any town so got back to the station at nine o'clock that night and I remember sitting in my room at the quarters just oh like what am I doing tomorrow I have to get up and uh, cook breakfast like with the you know get, get a bit of training from the manager's wife to show me how to do this kind of stuff like you know we'd cooked before like we'd done yeah. a bit of cooking you know as you grow up but you've never cooked for people as a as a job so I didn't apply for the job as such, you know, like and, and that's what people go. They go, well, why didn't you go for a Gillaroo? And I'm like, well, I didn't. I just wanted to get away and go mm. and I knew that job was going. So I just applied for it and I got it and, um, yeah, and then the rest is sort of history.
0: Yeah. And set the scene for me. Um, Humbert River, geographically explain to people where it is um, in terms of isolation and what the country looks like.
1: Yeah. So Humbert River still now, I think about it and I'm like, God, it's a special place. I think for people that come to the Northern Territory or work in Northern Queensland or, or somewhere remote, when they, the first place they go to it always sort of holds a special place in their heart. It's a beautifully scenic place. Like it's beautiful rivers, uh, escarpment country, um, good cattle country, variable country, you know, um, mix of pastures. It's good in that aspect. So um, geographically, you're, it's in the Victoria River Downs region. So it's next door to station VRD, you know, the historic place of VRD. So you're about, depending on the time of the year and how the road is, you're sort of about four hours from Kununara and you're about four hours from Catherine. So you're a bit of the way from either town. So I remember that might have been my second year there. Um, yeah, it was second or third, I can't really remember, but we only went to town twice you know and it wasn't because it was we were so isolated it was because we made a life of it out there you know weekends off we'd go fishing or you know you'd go swimming down the river and all of that sort of thing and when you tell people that you only went to town twice they go no you can't 21 year old you only went to town twice and they're like what would you go to town for i'm like oh probably Catherine show and Kamara show and that's about it but you know <laughs> that was just the life you made you made fun out on station you know you had a great crew around you and it was you just became a family it was great mm.
0: Um, I wanted to chat to you about um, that first six months of being a cook. What did you find hard um, about being a cook on a station? Because you know you're feeding essentially tired, hungry, sometimes people who are just spent all day sweating their asses off, hard work. Um, you know you may have not seen people all day, and you you know from your point of view you might be excited to catch up with everyone. The last thing they want to do is is give you a download on their day. So. Talk to me about what what was the hard parts of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was probably a really hard part of the job that I wasn't prepared for was the, sort of the loneliness side of it, you know. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. You'll go all day without seeing people. And like you said, at the end of the day, when people come in for dinner, the last thing they want to do is talk to a cook that's been lonely all day and it's just bombarding them with questions. So that's probably something that... Um, yeah, I didn't factor in, but in the same sense, the position I was in, um, oh, it was a cook's position where I was able to get out and about a fair bit. So if I had everything prepped, you know, for the day, I'd work my backside off, get everything ready, I'd go to the yard for half of the day, you know, and just, you know, I'd keep my finger, you know, in within the family, that sort of way. Um, so, yeah, it's the, lon- the loneliness side of it. And the first six months, another thing I really learnt was, that you can't please everybody, no matter how hard you try, you know, you can't please everybody. And that's normal when you're feeding people. But I think um I think I'm quite an emotional person. And I I sometimes I think of the younger self and I was, I think, you know, easily offended. But I think that just comes back to life experience. You grow out of that and you sort of learn to accept. But you know, I did battle with that for the first six months. You know, if I if someone would complain about something, you know, a little Smart like 18 year old Jackaroo would say, What's this rubbish? You know, I'd, you know, I would just think back and I go, oh, I used to get so offended. But in hindsight, now you just go, Look, life's life. Eat it, buddy. If you're hungry, you'll eat it. But yeah, there are a few different challenges and they're just a couple of them.
0: Yeah. And did you think yourself a good cook? Were you a bit of a Betty Crocker or was it a learn on the job type role? <laughs>
1: I'm a basic cook. Like I, I, you know, I, I love cooking. Even to this day, I love cooking. It's a bit more challenging when you're young kids, but mm. yeah, I do love cooking. I'm a basic cook. Like uh, I, I grew up on basic food. Like you know, my mum was a very basic cook, so that was just what I, I, I learnt. Um, wouldn't class myself as a Betty Crocker that's that's for sure but yeah I kept them fed I kept them fed and I kept my job so I must have I must have had some sort of standard there I tell myself (laughs) tick tick so um
0: at the end of that six months um you stepped out of your role as station cook and then what prompted you to start that conversation or to apply for a job um
1: as a station hand well, I actually cooked for another 12 months after that, believe oh, okay. it or not. And I think back and I'm just, I think back and I'm like, I cooked for 18 months and you're <laughs> bloody mad. But anyway, I obviously did really enjoy it. So I cooked for another 18 months and sort of uh, cooked for another 12 months. Sorry. And then I'd always, you know, I loved the outside aspect of it. You know, I love, you know, I loved, I loved livestock and, you know, I loved water. But I was lucky enough growing up, I sort of get got to keep my finger on the pulse with that sort of stuff. Like school holidays, I'd go back out west and stay with family or friends and, you know, I'd always loved that side of it. And that's probably what did initially draw me to the Territory or to going up north, you know. So uh, sort of I knew there was a position available the next season in the stock camp at Humbert River and I'm just like, oh, I should just do it. I should just do it. What have I got to lose? I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I remember having a conversation with the manager at the time and and he'd become a really good friend. Um, You know, everyone that worked for this man, you know, loved him. He was a great mate of everyone. I remember having a conversation with him about possibly can I go into the stock camp next year? And he was quite a uh, blunt sort of man, like he didn't beat around the bush. And I remember saying, oh, do you reckon I could go into the stock camp next year or at least try? And I remember he was just like, Emily, I've only had one other bloke, uh, one other woman work for me. I guess you could be the second. And I just remember just going, oh, my God, what have I done? Why have I asked this question? But anyway, I was doing it. I was there and I came back the next season as a station hand. And I did 12 months um, at Humbert River as a station hand before I transferred across to another station uh, closer to Kananara.
0: Yeah and did you enjoy that station hand work um and were you a quick learner did you have a goal in mind of when you wanted to um you know get everything under control or as you said were you sort of dabbling in a little bit beforehand and it just sort of all um yeah merged and tied together easily?
1: Yeah um Look, I loved it, Angie. Like, I just loved it. I lived and breathed it. You know, I I really found my niche and I loved all aspects of it. You know, it wasn't just the cattle work or the horse work. Like, I loved learning about just the day-to-day operation of Mm a station and how things tick, you know, or, you know, of a property. You know, I really enjoyed that. And I think when you really enjoy something, like, I just loved it." it. It makes it really easy to learn, you know, and... When you're in this sort of environment, or when you're in that sort of environment, and you know people like senior staff above you, if you show initiative that you want to learn, they'll give you about endless opportunities. And I think maybe that's where I may have struck gold because I just was so bloody passionate about it. You know, I wanted to learn. I wanted to do things I hadn't done before. I just because I was female, I sort of didn't shy back from things. You know, I just it was sort of just a natural transition, I, I guess. And I sort of didn't know for the first 12 months where it was taking me. I sort of didn't start in the stock camp to go, oh, I want to be a manager one day. That was sort of nowhere in my vision, you know. I'd, I've always been the sort of person, though, um, I, I like to be a decision maker. Um, I don't think it. I like to think it's not a controlling side of my nature, but, you know, I, I like to make decisions. I like to make strong decisions, prompt decisions, and maybe that's where my leadership sort of journey started yeah I think I think that's maybe where it started because I, I I like being that person you know I like like making decisions and I like being accountable you know.
0: Yeah so you did your three years um, as a station hand and then you went on to a head stockman's position how did this opportunity come about because up until then and I might be a bit naive but females as a head stock person was not a really common thing and I don't say that to be disrespectful but um was it a shift in management was it a shift in mindset um you know where did that opportunity come up um, where where you got to take on that head yeah. stockman position
1: yeah you're dead right like um you know even even probably when i started in the church, i think it was 2008 10 years prior to that you know in the previous decade you'd be lucky to see a wo- woman in even in the stock camp so it really shifted if you it's really shifted quite quickly, you know, mm. the ratio of men and women, like, to this day. So um, it sort of came about, I'd I, by this stage, after a few years in the stock camp, I'd um, moved over to another station closer to Kananara, a station called Neary Station.
0: Called
1: station. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I was probably at the point where, Uh, I I worked for a great corporate company I I worked for them for many years and they were really driven by equal opportunity um, within their business across their stations Um, and there was a head stockman position available at this at this station at Neary Station the following season so um, I applied for it I kind of thought well what have I got to lose you know i I'd never ever thought of myself any different, you know, male, female, gender difference, you know, ever. And you know, people to this day go, "Oh, like you said, did you find it hard being, you know, a woman in the stock camp or head stockman?" And I just go, "No, I, I, I honestly didn't. I, I honestly don't think I encountered any more hurdles or, than what I would have if I was a male head stockman." And mm-hmm. I think that comes just comes back down to is you don't treat yourself any different um what what we lack is probably strength that we make up for in empathy which I think in this day and age in a stock camp or running a stock camp is uh a trait you know, is a is a trait that is needed you know we're in different generation now different different young people coming through you know it's when it's it Gone are the days of old hard days in the Northern Territory or North Queensland, where rough and tough got, get up and get going. you know times have changed, you know, and you've got to move with the times. And this company that I've worked for, you know uh, were really passionate about driving that, and the position came up and I got it, and I was a head stopping at that station for uh, a couple of years actually. and I loved it. I loved it. you know, and I was talking to someone about it the other day, and I lived and breathed work. Uh, that's that that was you know, that, that, that was me, you know, I had a really poor work-life balance, but that was me when I was, you know, life changes now, Your life experiences, that I think back to those days and like, I, I, I loved my work and I, we all, well, we all worked bloody hard, but we all, you know, I loved it because I was so passionate about it and I just, yeah, I just, I just lived and breathed it, like every aspect of it. And and I, that's where I really started enjoying um, the staff and training people, and that's probably where I got onto the management side of it, you know. Mm. Nothing as a head stockman. and I think back now, and I just go, oh, I think of little things that you go, oh, I remember when we walked those couple of things like that that stick in you, and that's because you've just got this team around you and respect you, respect each other, you know, I, I just... Yeah, I get goosebumps when I think about that kind of stuff because it's just um, teamwork and it's great.
0: And a common thread that comes through, and when I talk to people is um, people management. It's one of the toughest things within a station. Um, how did you manage your crew and what was one lesson that you learned uh, during leading a team of people?
1: yeah yeah and for sure like people management you never ever stop learning with it and they all the the common you know the common saying is cattle stations are easy to manage you know cattle and horses and all that sort of stuff you just people are the hard side Mm -hmm. of it and they always will be and no matter what industry you're in you know you're you know um, it's always a tricky one but in saying that there's so much training available this day and age into people management personality types how to deal with different personalities etc you know so um, but I think I, I think I learned to love the challenge of that too um, you know and you know you learn over time that different dynamics and different personalities make up your team and you you need each and every one of those people to make your team work. They're all there for a reason. And I think I think if you understand that, um, you know, you're gonna have success. I think if you fight against it, that's when you're fighting a, you know, uphill battle.
0: Mm, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you've got to work to people's strengths and um, you know, if you hone in on what they're good at and make that work then everything else seems to fall in yeah. place. Um I do that, want to talk to you lot. about what um why do you think the Northern Territory and Western Australia, I mean northern Queensland everywhere, but why do you think it draws so many young women and blokes? Because it's like you know come the end of the year, open those floodgates and you can't stop New South Wales, Victorians and Queensland trying to get Get up into the Gulf and um, and across that northern um, country to go and work on a station. Why? Why is that? Do you think?
1: Oh, look, I I've had this conversation with so many people, and you know what? I I can't find the exact answer, and and I think everybody's got a different answer to it. I think some I'll bring it back to me, and I think that's why it's got a lot to do with many other people. Is um, it's the lifestyle. You know, you work bloody hard, but you can have some really fun times. You know, you're you're meeting different people. um, You're you're learning different skills on the job and you're getting paid for it. So that's a bonus for young people, you know. Um, And I think people in recent times, you know, there's so many opportunities within the pastoral industry, Mm. you know, and I think people see it as a really good opportunity to come up north and learn skills you know and I think when people do really well like if don't get me wrong plenty of people come to the north like Western Australia NT and Queensland and they just come up for their gap year and you're always going to have those people you know and they and they they have a purpose too you know you have people a lot of people for 12 months as their gap year Mm. Um, but there's the sort of people that do come north and they might do two or three seasons you know, and then they might end up going back down south, like you said, to New South Wales or Queensland. Uh, and, you know, they might end up back on back on the land or, you know, in their pastoral sector in some degree. And I think when people, for me, if I, I look at it now and if I look at someone's resume, if I have chat with someone on the phone and they go, oh, I did three years at this station in the Territory, and you go, well, they must be half decent or a working person, you know, because, you know, it's tough work and... And, you know, he, a lot of people, you know, um, I would respect that if, you know, I can see someone, you know, done some hard yards in the territory. And then there's the romantic side of it. You know, everyone talks about the romance of going up north, you know, the scenery, the sunsets. you know, all of that side of it. And people do get wrapped up in all of that side of it, too. But generally, they're the kind of people that come up here you know, and get shooken up a bit and they go, Jesus, this is hard work, isn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, there's so many different reasons why yeah. that. Um, I think a lot of people come up here also and they do realise there can be a career in the north, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so much opportunity.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then I did a um, uh, very brief research um, around a few stations and they told me that um, the when it comes to resumes, they are getting a lot more females apply for roles than men.
1: Why do you think that that is? Oh look, and I I can back that up hundred percent. So the company I used to work for in the later years um, um that I worked for them, their applications were 70% female mm. for station hand positions. And you know, it's really, really great to see. Um, but you have to have a ratio of male, female, like you said, we've all got strong points, you know. Um, and I think I think it just comes back to acceptance more than anything, like the pastoral industry in the north across the north of australia has moved really quickly with gender equality like we were talking about just before i think because it's more accepted Mm -hmm. um, this day and age for women to be in the stock camp and i also think another reason is that um, women see opportunity you know there isn't just station management roles you know there isn't just station hand positions you know there's so many other positions on a station this day and age, you know, or within the companies or corporate companies, whoever you work for, or private people, you know, yeah, there's your tech records people, there's your office admin, you know, there's so many opportunities up here. Gone are the days where and it, it it comes with, you know, the balance of how things have grown in the industry altogether, really, like the workload Behind the scenes, all of that kind of business, you know, the computer side, the office side has grown. So therefore, the opportunity for everybody has grown, with you know positions available on stations.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a really valid point, Em. I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought of it like that. So yeah, I, that's that's a really good answer. Um, look, it's it's evident that you're pretty switched on, and you landed yourself a um, station management job at Argyle Downs. Uh, what was it like receiving that news that you'd landed that role and were you nervous? Were you sort of like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Or were you just like, right, I'm I'm keen being, I'm going to give this everything?
1: Yeah, you know what? I still get a lump in lump in my throat when you just said that because, God, I was excited. Like Argyle Downs, was a, um, uh, it still is. It's a ripper of a place that I've up until, you know, january this year when we left managing you know i still had a lot to do with argyle Downs. we still transferred cattle there you know and it's it's a top-notch place so it was completely different to what i'd been doing you know i'd always worked on breeder operations um whereas argyle was the bullock depot as such it was the finishing place you know so all males were sent there or cold cold females um it bounded the eastern side of lake argyle so it was um, for people that know the area, it's it's um, it's a sort of area that gives Readers Digest a challenge. You know, it's a beautifully scenic area. It's great. You know, it's, you can't get any better cattle country.
0: How big was um, was Argyle just on a
1: scale? Yeah, scale wise, it was on the smaller spectrum in the Northern Territory. Sort of ran between eight to twelve thousand head, but it was a busy operation. So it was a mm. sale place. You know, you're always uh, boats. Trucking cattle, small staff structure, so it was only myself and uh, might have been a cook and two or three ringers, so it was only a smaller operation. But albeit, you know, you're you're busy. You know, it was great. I, you know, I I love Argyle. I love the opportunity. You know, when the opportunity came about, I just thought, oh. This is amazing and I'll never forget walking. I remember going in there. I had been there before to work and all that sort of stuff because often the company we work for, you go and work at different stations and I remember actually getting there and I remember walking into the main house because as a station hand and a head stopper you know, you had pretty basic accommodation. You know, mm. that, that's just how it rolled. I remember walking into the main house at Argyle and I'm just going, oh, my god. Can't believe this is my house, and I can't believe I'm the bloody manager of this place. Like it was a really overwhelming feeling. It was great. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, you um up until uh mid 2020, um station manager at uh was it over at Avern as well? Um and that's yeah. located in the NT. Um, so it's it's pretty clear you've been involved in some pretty well-known places. Was that um was that always your goal? So when you went into management to to stay there or were you sort of um, you know, content with with you know getting your head around it all and and um uh just seeing where it sort of took you?
1: Yeah, so no for sure. By that stage, well, you know, when when I applied for that position at Argo, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I um I just wanted to keep on going, you know. Uh, I when I first went to Argyle, the, you know, the, the operation. I really enjoyed the change and the shift of, you know, it was just a different operation. But um, I knew I, uh, I knew I'd want a bigger operation down the track. You know, more staff. You know, that sort of thing. That was obviously the dream. And then, yeah, uh, the position became available at Avern Station, which was back to the east in the Northern Territory. Uh, it's sort of close to the township back of Timber Creek, where I first ended up in the Territory. So I didn't really move far over the years that I was in the Territory. I was of in the same area within 500 kilometres to <laughs> here or there. So, um, yeah, that position became available and I applied for it and went through the application process because even though it was still internal transfer within the same company, you still go through the process of application and interview and all that sort of business. And yeah, I I, I remember calling my mum when I got in the news I got the job uh, to manage Vern. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a pretty special phone call for sure because mum knew the area well too because you know her kids had been up here for close to a decade or more including my brother so yeah it was pretty special.
0: And Em how do you mentally succeed with everything that you need to process um, in your head when you're managing a place because I can't imagine um, having so many things in your mind and making sure that everything is just you know running like a well-oiled machine so like can you dumb it down for us like how did you how did you manage it in your head like what what was your strategy to get everything um, moving and, and um, working well?
1: Yeah, first and foremost, and I'll say it to this day, is your relationship with your staff. You know, that makes everything tick. You've got to have respect both ways. You know, your, your staff are your backbone of any operation, no matter what industry you're in. You know, if you're a leader or senior staff member, you've got to have that connection with your staff. And you've got to find that work life balance with them. You know, you have to be their mate as well as their mentor. So, I put that definitely back to that. You know, and you've got to, you've got to have trust in your operation or your staff that they will operate, you know, under your management. So that's a really big thing. And another thing is even even now, like I'm a routine person, Angie, and you know, I think you Know back even when it comes back to running a station or any business, or for me, you know, managing a station, I was a routine person, you know, mm. every day, not just with me, but with my staff, you know, um, how we do things. Um, you know, obviously, the wheels fall off, those things happen, but you know, but if you always come back to your routine, that's a really big thing for me. Um, and I and I thrived on the adrenaline, you know, I love being busy, and I think being busy um being busy you know work smart not harder is Mm. a really big thing and you hear people say that all the time um and when you step back and you look at different operations around the north and generally those operations that are running really well are people are working really smart and not non less not and Mm. not necessarily working even harder you know what i mean so yeah there's a few few things but yeah, it's just, and having passion for it, I think, having passion for it. It's like anything. If you have passion for it, you're going to work hard and it's going to all operate like a well-oiled machine. Mm.
0: Yep. So let's talk recruitment. Uh, it's the end of the year. Some resumes are sliding over your desk. What do you look for when you're employing someone um, uh, and what's something that jumps out at you off the page and you just go, yep, I reckon they'll they would be, they'd be uh, a good fit for the, for the role?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. And whenever I talk to people, you know, you get endless um resumes, you know, and generally for first year applicants. Like most of the resumes are first year applicants. Anything sort of two, three, or you know, if you're employing a head stockman, it was always over the phone. You'd be contacted that way. But generally people fresh people coming into the system are always through resume. And first and foremost, I'm the first person to say, and it's probably not the best thing to say, I would always go look. You can put anything you want on a piece of paper. I'm going to call you, Mm -hmm. you know. You really get a vibe for someone over the phone. And and I'm open and honest when I talk to people on the phone about it. You know, they could have endless lists of training and certificates and you you name it, they'll have it on paperwork. But as soon as you talk to someone on the phone, you either see through it or you don't, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big thing, you know. And and you really just, it sounds as if this word doesn't really, Fit in. I feel as though it shouldn't really fit in in the industry we're in but you've got to buddy connect with someone on the phone you know you connect with people in different ways if you're looking for a boorman or a greater driver you connect with them in a different way than what you would if you're hiring a cook you know yeah. you've got to you've got to sort of you've got to have that conversation with them and you've really got to picture yourself right can they fit in here on our station Will they fit in with me? And vice versa. Mm. And our head stockman or the current crew we've got. Um, so for me, it's not what about on paper. It never has been. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's how you connect with them on the phone, um, and do your background, like call their references. Like that's a massive thing. Like call their references, talk to people that they've worked for, talk to family, you know. It's a strange environment up here. Everyone is connected in some kind of way. Yeah. Their brothers, mothers, sisters work somewhere, you know. So you can always suss someone out pretty quickly.
0: Let's chat aviation. aviation. You're a pilot. Um, during your time, <laughs> you um you got yourself through that um, huge achievement. Um, so what prompted you to do that?
1: So it was sort of came with the job at averm Um Averm was Quite a large station. It was just over a million acres and quite you know, it was quite a long, narrow station. So getting from A to B from the northern to the southern end of the place was quite a task, you know. And um so it sort of came in turn with moving to Avurn or getting the job at Avurn. And it's funny, it's like before I got my license, I despised small aircraft. Like I just <laughs> the thought of even hopping in one made my stomach turn because. You know, working on stations up there that often ferry you between different stations in a 172 or 182, whatever they had on stations, because generally most managers had their fixed wing licence. And I thought, oh, I remember talking to the general manager when, when, I, when I got the position, I said to him on the phone and I said, so does this mean I have to get my licence, my fixed wing licence? He goes, well, you better, and it probably makes sense. And I'm just like, oh, no, like it was never in my... Never a goal to get my six-wing license, purely because I just got extremely nauseated whenever I was a passenger. Um, anyway, I did my license, loved it. It was a great tool for the job. And um, I thought I wouldn't miss it. Like I haven't probably, uh, I haven't, obviously the last couple of years, I haven't flown as much because of small humans. Um, and I thought after leaving Averne, the last time I flew around Averne um, before we left may have been oh, December and we left in January. And I remember shutting the door on it pulling my headset out going well that'll be the last time I'm not going to miss that but now looking back I'm like oh it was you know I really I really did enjoy it you know aside from the work side it was a great tool for work you know checking on things waters going from this yard to that yard but um in a weird way I do miss it even though it's funny even as a pilot you know in the recent years of having kids because I couldn't fly as often I'd go a month in between flights and because I wasn't doing it regularly even as a pilot I would still get sick you know Uh, it was all right day to day when I was when I was in a plane every day you know my body was obviously used to it but yeah looking back I loved it It was a great tool for the job and it's something I've never thought never thought I'd do but it's one of those things you just never know what's around the corner and you've got to jump on every opportunity you get.
0: Having support to um, accomplish what you have must have been really important to you so who's been your support cheer squad um who's guided you along the way
1: you know i've had some great mentors you know that you know within the industry you know different managers different general managers you know uh, you know they've been great mentors you know i've you know always been a big person to you know i've always just tried to tell myself lean on people and ask for advice you know no one ever does this stuff alone so you know, just different managers and general managers. You know, you learn from different people. You know, my family has always been a great support. You know, we're a very close family. You know, mum's always been flying the flag. And, you know, my brother's always been in the rural industry up in the Northern Territory up until recently. You know, he's always um, been flying the flag also. And then, you know, you look at people like when Tracy Hayes was involved with the NTCA, you know, she was just forging a path for women within the industry. Um, you know, just different people like that.
0: Mm. I want to talk uh, about most recently in your life. So you met your partner whilst roaming through the NT. Can you share with us how you guys met? Um, you know, and and was it, obviously you bonded a friendship first?
1: Yeah, so we met many moons ago. So when I first moved to Newry Station, Wayne was working on the neighboring station um, to the south. So, like most station staff, you you meet in crossing. Um, and actually, at the point of time when we first met, and we still joke about it to this day. It was at the beginning of the season, and you know, there was myself and a couple of other station hands from Nieuw and himself. He was a pilot a mustering pilot, and we were um, on the and we all met on the boundary to do some floodgate fencing after the wet season. And that's how we initially met. We said, "Oh my God, isn't that crazy?" You know, that's how we met. Anyway. You know, time passed everyone's still friends and we actually came back together well we sort of crossed paths again you know we we're on different journeys prior to that but crossed paths again back in two thousand and oh seventeen it was and that's sort of yeah when we sort of became closer friends and we you know the the, the rest is history and now we've got two beautiful kids mm.
0: yeah and I wanted to talk to you you've um Become a mom of two children, a pigeon pair. So look at you go! <laughs> uh, but tell uh-huh. me about motherhood. What has it been for you, especially um, you know, going from being a manager, which is a huge position on a property? Um, was there ever any doubt about how that would fit in in your lifestyle? Having children, was there a step back, uh, or were you sort of a bit? Let's just see how this develops and moves forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I um, had we had our first boy and uh, our first child, his little boy, in 2018. And CPC, the company I worked for, was so supportive in the fact that um, you know the general manager at the time, and he's a good friend still now. I remember telling him that I was expecting our first child, and he goes, "Well, that's bloody good. Well, no reason why you still can't your job, can't can't do your job. You know, you know, you know, times are changing. This can still be done." So right from then, I knew things. We're going to be fine, you know, work-wise. Mm. And that was never an issue, you know, we made it work. Um, but probably the hardest thing was it wasn't so hard with first baby. Um, I could sort of handle it, but obviously add another one into the mix. And they're quite they were close together, close together, 18 months apart. So life became very busy, like uh, understandably. And the station of was very is very busy station anyway. And I really I really started to struggle because I could see I couldn't uh put 100% into my job, you know. My first priority was always mum, you know. I became a mum because I wanted to be a mum, you know, and I really struggled to split my time and I I um but you know, times change and you know, you know, things evolved and Wayne was then on board and he took over the you know, the management uh, you know, the forefront management, you know mid last year. so i I was able to step back. Um, mm. It was really hard to step back because I you know i I was always the key decision maker, that was me, that was my job, and I loved it. you know I mm. it's um, it was it was really, yeah, it was it was tough. it was really tough, but I knew I had to step back because I couldn't put a hundred percent into my job mm. um, and I just had to have faith in my old partner over the side here that he could do the job just as well because I knew he could um, and I just had to keep telling myself, Emily, there's more than one way to skin a cat just because your partner's doing things a little bit differently to how you may have done it in previous years. It doesn't, doesn't mean it won't work. So, you know, there was uh, heaps of mental boundaries for me um, you know, in that sense. And that sort of probably, it, and then we sort of made the decision at the end of last year to move on and, you know, that didn't have any connection to, you know, um, me stepping back. It was just we were at a time in our life where we decided to move on and try something different. Mm.
0: Is there any particular memory that sticks out for you where you felt like you were challenged as a rural woman um, that you can share, you know, um, and and how you got past it?
1: Yeah, look, nothing really sticks out to me, Angie, and that's the thing. Like probably now, it's probably now more than anything being, you know, challenges. I put myself back as though were on station, you know. Mm. Now as a rural woman is the support for new mothers, you know, and it's something I had not even batted an eyelid at up until two and a half years ago when I became a mum. I think, you know, things are evolving and there's you know the the social media world is amazing in in regards to that you know there's so much changing in you know even even this podcast Angie you know so many podcasts are this sort of thing where people are talking about these issues and you know making women feel as though they're not alone you know that's that's probably a really big thing you know feeling these emotions isolated we can't just duck around the corner and have a coffee with our friends and you know station's a bit of a funny thing i think for um parrots and probably just from my point of view as a mother because they can be the most social place but they can be the most lonely and isolating place mm. too you know likes of averne you had fourteen full-time staff there but you know, for me as a new mom, I'd never been lonelier. You know, Wayne was obviously out earning a dollar, you know, doing the job, running the station. That 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 had to be done. But and you're surrounded by staff all the time, but can be some really lonely times. And that's probably a real challenge for a lot of rural women. Like you know yourself, you know plenty of people, and you you yourself, you're rural. You know, it can be a real challenge.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Emma, I think, um, yeah, really connect with when you say, you know, you are in a community of 14 people, but sometimes it can never feel more isolated. So um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. That's very valuable. So who within the industry inspires you now?
1: Yeah. Look, there's so many people and you know what? It's one of those things that know like i said before there's tracy hayes you know she did some amazing things while she was involved with the ntca but i look at now there's so many great initiatives for young people coming up through the ranks you know and that's so inspiring to see um you know there's the young live export and all of those sort of things you know there's rural leadership programs you know and you know i know so many younger people that are involved and i you know just recently i saw a good friend her and her partner manage newcastle waters and you know she's she's just you know you see people like that and they're just ticking boxes and they're just doing so bloody well in the industry and it's really good to see that um there's so many opportunities for people in the pastoral industry and when you see young people just Grabbing it with both hands and going, I'm going to make a life and a living and a passion and a job out of that. It's mm. so good to see.
0: Mm. Uh, outside of the home um, and the paddock, what other interests do you have? What are you really passionate about at the moment?
1: And yeah, you know, the thing about it is, it's something you, it's something you kind of lose a little bit when you became when you become a mum. Like we all hear it, you know. You know, but the thing is, I think it's really important to find something and keep something for you that's a side project or a side passion because overall it makes you a better person or it makes you a better parent. Um, so for me, and it sort of ties into uh, becoming a mom. like I just love the health and well-being side of things. Like mm-hmm. I'm the first person to admit that being happy is just an emotion. You have to feel the ebbs and flows. But I think trying to find that balance in life, of health and well-being and looking after yourself um, is something I'm really passionate about at the moment, um, and that's sort of recently I've jumped on board with the Rural Shampoo and become an ba- ambassador for them, you know. And it's and it's about you know promoting health and well-being in the rural industry and for rural families, and I'm really enjoying that side of things at the moment. And um, yeah, that's sort of where I'm what I'm keeping busy with at the moment, aside from growing our rural contracting business hmm
0: and you and Wayne and the kids all call Catherine home now um and you you, as you said you are starting a contracting business so what made you leave the station life um so and what you've known for so long to take on a slightly different direction
1: yeah and that's one of those things even Wayne and I'll just be sitting out the back here in Catherine you know we're just on a small rural block outside of town and that's such a massive adjustment for us um, which is we we knew it would be and we still have moments where we go oh geez I miss a van." do you miss a van? <laughs> yeah yeah what <laughs> what have we done I don't know what have we done but you know we know we've made the right decision because we know you know we didn't we didn't leave there going see you later we're out of here we left there finding it really tough because we love what we do did and we still you know it is still a direction we may very well go back to but the thing is we're at the point in our life where the kids are small we're not tied down by school let's get out and do something different let's go and earn a quid for ourselves work for ourselves um, and you know we're lucky Wayne's still got his trade um, he still does a bit of mustering um, here and there so that's keeping him busy alongside you know, growing our rural contracting business bits and pieces of that
0: Mm. And is the Northern Territory going to be your forever home or what does the future hold for you when you look into it, you know, 10, 15 years from now?
1: Yeah, I think people have uh, gotten sick of asking us when we're coming back to Queensland so I think for the time being <laughs> the, Nor- the Northern Territory is definitely home um we can't really envisage ourselves being anywhere else in the near future you know we will always reassess when high school comes about and that sort of thing but for the moment there's so many opportunities for us as a family up here so it's definitely home for sure and Queensland family they're only a plane trip away it's not far to get back there to see friends and family
0: yeah yeah and I was about to say do you uh, family get up to see you often I, I suppose the pandemic sort of threw a spanner in the works there but um have they been able to get up and
1: see you over the over the christmas break and um into this year yeah and we get we we get back to back home as much as we can also and um and for sure you know family get up here as much as they can so generally if they can do one trip up here a year and we can do one trip down there a year it's um you know that's pretty fair and we generally pre-pandemic that's sort of what we what we aim for which is great Mm.
0: um and a question I like asking people is what would you tell your pre-mum self or your pre-leaving the station now what what advice would you give yourself
1: oh so much god (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things there's so many things and probably I said it before like and it just comes back. I keep saying it, life experiences and all of that sort of thing. But um, you know, understanding that ha- like happiness is just an emotion. You know, life is about having a range of emotions. You know, and that's probably a big thing. You know, people always strive to say, oh, I just want to be happy, which is which is which is great in the whole picture of things. But life is about happiness and balance. There's always going to be edges and flows. And probably another thing is just um oh, don't bloody doubt yourself ever like and the thing about it is life's a journey don't look for the finish line you know what mm. I mean like it's ah it, in whatever you do like you know the days are long the years are short you know mm. you know grab the journey with both hands for sure
0: yeah and on that um, um is that advice that you would get give any young woman that might be out there about to get married or move onto a property um, into a rural area or is, have you got something else that you think that you'd, um, you'd tell them?
1: Um, if you're moving into a rural area, like, um, and and you'd know it too, and a lot of other women in the rural, rural sector is... Um, take advantage of your community and form relationships you know because you never know when you might need people and uh, you never know when they might need you you know the the, the backbone of any rural community is friendship um and in, in engage in community events involving community events and um you know it's really important to find self-worth you know in that part of a community and the rural sector um, and and just like anything, don't doubt yourself. Where the pastoral industry is in a position now, where there's equal opportunity, it's equal pay, equal opportunity. Everything's equal, you know. If if you get down and work hard and prove yourself in any industry or any any job description, you know, you're going to go places. Mm. So that's a really important one too.
0: Yeah. And what's one of your goals for this year? What have you got on the on the bucket list or the goal list for 2021?
1: Yeah, we've got some really exciting things in the future. Um, you know, business-wise. So it's it's going to be really great to try and tick those off and just grow our business and um um grow our client base. That's that's really exciting. And and just learning to work as a family too because this is completely new direction for us. Um when we, we've we just not long got back from a job out on the station and um, it was a family job. We're all there. We're all in the dirt. we we're, were building a tank. We're all there together, you know, and that's a such a different dynamic for us too. Um, but it's exciting, you know, and this um, uh, little side thing I've got going with the rural shampire too, that's really exciting because I'm helping rural people. You know, I'm just helping rural people reach their goals and look after their health and wellbeing. So I just, I'm really enjoying that and growing with that also.
0: And, Em, how would, um, a lot of people don't like this question, but it's it's a good reflection um, for everyone, but how would friends or family or acquaintances describe you?
1: Oh, that's a bit of a tough one, actually, because I'm not sure I'd like the answer, but um, I lead with my heart and sometimes that can get me into trouble i'm 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 a problem solver you know and that that's good and bad in some senses like there's plenty of scenarios where you should just let it lie and just let it work itself out but i'm a problem solver i love to solve solve a problem and i want to solve it yesterday (laughs) that's the sort of person i am but um uh I'm stubborn but I like to refer to it as determined probably more than anything <laughs> um and I can see a lot of those traits coming through in our little girl and it scares the absolute <laughs> bejeebus out of me <laughs> um, yeah I'm um and I love to love like I just I love I love just I'm a very passionate person whatever I find love in and passion you know I just I love being passionate about things the rural sector my family just everything yeah mm.
0: As a family unit, what do you, Wayne, and the kids like to do to unwind or um, what's something that you get out and do together?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like a lot of people in the north, we're, we love fishing. We've got some of the greatest fishing in Australia up here. So obviously, you know, that's when we can we love to get out and have a fish Uh, camp drafting obviously there's some great camp drafts across the north too so yeah a bit of camp drafting a bit of fishing and that's about social downtime when you get out and just you know socialize with people at drafts, which is great Mm.
0: um your biggest accomplishments so far
1: um look first and foremost i think most people parents generally say my kids you know obviously that's that's a big one but definitely aside from that it's just um uh it, it is it, it is becoming a station manager like it's it's something in my wildest dreams i never ever thought possible but it's probably one of those things until someone says it to you you kind of go oh yeah i, I guess I, I have you know it, it just doesn't seem out of the order it's not out of the ordinary for me because i just loved it so much like i didn't you know, I think when people start putting people up on pedestals, you know, that's when, yeah, I just don't think people generally succeed as well when people, you know, uh, it's a bit hard to explain, but I think if you just keep your head down, bum up, you're going to succeed no matter what you're trying. So, yeah, definitely where, where, where I am in the pastoral industry, where I got to, and hopefully we keep going in whatever direction we go and, and kicking goals, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you should definitely be proud of that, em. um, It's a huge feat and um, massive congratulations on that. Um, can you finish the phase for me?
1: I love people who. Ah, oh, I love people who are energetic. I love it. I love people who are energetic. It just comes hand in hand. They're energetic. If they're energetic, they're passionate, they're driven, they're, they work hard, they love hard, they do everything hard. Mm. I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, you guys seem pretty busy, but what's your what kind of music are you listening to at the moment? What's in your
1: playlist? I listen to absolutely everything. If someone opened my Spotify playlist, they'd just go, what on earth are you listening to, Ellie?" Like I love absolutely every genre, genre of music. Like Wayne will be listening to my music He'll be hooked up to the car and he'll just go, what is this? It's some sort of hip-hop rap, whatever, and I'm just like, if it's got a good beat, melody, I'm down for it.
0: Um yeah I think um Spotify's been the best find I think um yeah I'm a bit the same it goes from the, wiggle, <laughs> the wiggles to yeah. <laughs> triple j hot what is 100 it's all over. the yeah. place. Um five things you think rural women should have packed in their handbag.
1: Yeah and I had a thought had to think about this one. So definitely wipes of any description. I mean I'm a mum now with kids in nappies, so I have wipes wherever I go, you know, but not just for the kids side of it. If you're a rural person and you're you're in your town clothes, you're going to car, you can guarantee you're going to hop into a vehicle that's full of dust or dirty or something, or you get out to get a gate and you're going to get dirty. So wipes, that's definitely one thing. And something I wish I implemented more as my younger self as a woman on the land is sun protection. And it's something I did so poorly in my younger years, like so poorly. Yeah. And you know, even now where where I'm not in the sun all the time. And even now I'm wearing a, a neck scarf just out of habit. You know, that's that's my life now. Like I feel naked if I don't. Sunscreen, you know, that's just that sort of thing. Sun protection, lip balm, like that sort of thing. I think I look in the mirror and I see you know you, you see the sun damage and you go oh you could have just you know and it's just it's one of those things that can be so easily fixed you know just by looking after your skin yeah. you know and just sun protection um, what else oh a notepad you know because you don't always have your phone on you where you go when i was managing you know i'd have a notepad or some something you can write stuff down on because you when you're always busy you need to write stuff down so a notepad of some description or in my work Twitter i remember i used to always have a whiteout out pen so if I'm driving along and I think of something or I've got to book a truck or book a helicopter, I just write it on my windscreen in yeah. a whiteout pen, you know, something you, you can write notes down. Yeah. Um, Just bits and pieces like that, really. And some sort of device where you can listen to podcasts, audio books. You know, there's so much <laughs> there's so much available. No, there's so much available for people on the land this day and age, you know, to learn and resources, you know. So, yeah, some sort of listening device where you can always tune in when you've got five or ten minutes spare or you're walking along with cattle, where you don't have to be interacting with other people all the time. Mm.
0: And I love following you on Instagram. And um, for those who are listening, you can check out Em's account um, at End. But what are some Instagram accounts you like to follow at the moment?
1: Yeah, there's so many. And I think it's uh, like anything with social media, if it's it's such a great thing to be on board with, you know. Like everything, if, if if it's used the right way, and for us in the rural sector, you know, it's such a great way to connect with people. You know, so Sal Bradford, the Rural She Empire, her page is amazing. She's she's all about rural families and um, um, just following her journey and uh, watching how she's growing her business. You know, Rural She Empire. She, you know, she's a great one to follow along with, and I love fashion accounts like, um. You know, it's something that we have historically been so isolated from. You know, to go to town. I mean, I remember when I was first lucky, you'd go to town and you'd go to the clothes store that they have available, and you'd walk out with bags of clothes because you <laughs> hadn't been shopping. You know, fashion clothes. You know, so there's so many pages like Spin Effects and Co, Long Grass Style, which is great Australian labels for rural women. Yeah. And then I just love also following along with. Oh, look, I love rural stuff. Um, you know. Cattle Station mum, Grace Perry, you know, I'm I'm good friends with her, but she's got an amazing account. She just shows the day-to-day real life of being a mum on a station and it's something so many of us can connect with. So she's a great one. I love following along with too.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, as always,
0: we'll make sure that we pop those Instagram accounts in the show notes for people and the um, listeners to check out. Um, look, I've just had such a... Um, enjoyable time sitting down with you today and and thank you so much for sharing your story it's um it's definitely one that um i hope people get something out of and i know i definitely have so thank you very much for sharing but um i want to wish you Wayne and the kids all the best for the future and um keep posting cuz i love seeing your stuff and um yeah the best of luck for whatever um, whatever's around the corner for you guys
1: thanks Ange. Um, i I truly appreciate it. I've really enjoyed this and um, great to reconnect over such an amazing podcast. You should yeah. be very proud of your efforts. It's, oh, it's great.
0: Thanks. Thank you. You know, it's um it's been lovely to um, yeah, as you said, reconnect and um yeah, hopefully we next time we do, it might be over a beer or a um spirit That'd of be some great. sort. <laughs>
1: that is great.
0: And if you'd like to follow along with M's journey, then you can do so on Instagram at Em underscore Brian underscore top end.